Good morning, everybody. It's awesome to be here with you today. I'm driving in from Harrison Mills. It's a beautiful drive, and getting to know that I'm going to be here hanging out with all y'all is like icing on the cake. So Sarah and I are fired up to be here. So is Cadman. He is currently terrorizing upstairs. It's my boy. Uh, before I get started, I just want to quickly take a second. <clears throat> uh, Tyson mentioned that I'm the Lake Arock campus pastor, and for those of you who don't know, at Central, we are one church that meets in multiple locations, and Lake Arock is the fourth campus out of five. And we're, at this point, we're not doing services. We're still building up what we're calling a launch team. And there's a few people, a few families that have uh, committed to that. There's others that are uh, prayerfully considering it. And I want to invite you today to do the same thing again, to be prayerfully considering coming out and serving with us in this great adventure that is Lake Arock. If you haven't been there before, it's kind of over the bridge, through Agassiz, up Mount Woodside, through Harrison Mills, and then Lake Arock. It's, it's an incredible place. There's, God is doing some unbelievable stuff. We're doing things with a food bank on, on one of the reservations out there. Um, building relationships with people. It's just, it's unreal. And we would love for more people to come and join us out there. So if this is something that's tugging on your, your heartstrings a little or you want more information, please come talk to me. You can email me or call me or whatever other communication way me and uh, we can chat about it. We're also going to be doing a evening pretty soon, probably in the next couple of weeks. So you'll find out next week when that will be. So if that's something that interests you, come show up for that. It always strikes me as funny how we as people can be easily influenced, whether it's the language that we use. For instance, next time you're, you're hanging out with your Christian friends and you're having a discussion, watch for how many times you hear people say it's so good, right? It's, oh, man, that's so good. This, it's, it's a thing right now. It's, uh, we're doing that. Uh, so whether it's, it's some of the words that we're using or, or mannerisms, right? We have... Of all these different mannerisms that we use, or our spending habits, or our haircuts, or our driving behavior, we all get influenced by people around us. We do it because other people are doing it often. So many of you may have heard from a well-meaning mother one time, if your friends were to jump off a bridge, would you do the same thing? Little did she know that I would run for my phone and be like, hey guys, guess what? My mom just gave me the best idea. Grab your swimsuits and meet me at the bridge. Kind of worked against what she was trying to accomplish there. Sometimes we're influenced towards something great, right? Like a, a good movie or a spouse or a, a really tasty cheeseburger. Other times we're influenced more negatively and we start to walk down a dark path like... Can we, can we back it up? One. The, we, need to, we need to back this up just a second. Keep going. So this is me with a mullet <laughs> and some weird sweater game. This is your children's pastor, Chris, in his glory. Then we have our youth pastor. This is John. <laughs> Woohoo! And the best. This is the get ready for this. Are you ready? All right. That's Eldon Fair, your Agassiz camp. I know, right? He made my heart all kinds of happy when he sent that to me this week. Eldon, we love you, brother. Never change. Whew. 
So these are just a few of your central pastors, folks. Please pray that we never backslide. <laughs> so thankfully, either through age or experience, we can, we can grow out of less than desirable phases, right? In fact, we can, we can move out of much more serious and, and sinister things that can get a hold of us, and we can build a strength of character that can enable us to avoid making the same errors again. Even more thankfully, this is true when it comes to faith and our relationship as it pertains to a holy and awesome God. We're continuing in our series on the 21st century church today, and to do that, we're going to be hanging out in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, so I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles if you got them. We have some here if you need one, they'd be out in the back. Um, phones, tablets, whatever, we're also going to have the, the passage up here. So the series, if you're new, what we're doing is we're taking the church in Corinth it's in the first century, and we're going to be using it as a means of looking at what the church was doing then to speak into what's going on now in the 21st century. So it's really important for us to see that this was a letter first written by Paul to a church in a specific situation, in a specific context that was speaking to real issues of that day. But the really cool thing is that God's word works in such a way that he can providentially use that to speak to us today as to how some of these same things will impact the way that we do life now. So this series, or sorry, this passage today is going to speak to the responsibility of those who claim to follow Jesus, who would consider themselves a strong follower of Jesus, and their responsibility to brothers and sisters in the church, and then the surrounding community as well, who are maybe weaker in their faith and easily led to worship something other than God. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, concerning food... Offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. 
So as you can see, hopefully as I read through that, I'm going to quote a rendition of Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Here's the point that I want us to take away from uh, this passage today. We want to keep this not just in our forefront as we're going through this passage, but friends, this is something that we want to be thinking about in our day-to-day lives, and that is exercising a right can be wrong. Exercising a right, something that we have every right under God to be doing in our own life can become wrong when we do it in a context or in, certain, or in front of certain people that causes them to stumble. So I'm going to walk back through this passage and with the expectation that God is here today, moving today, and that he's going to help us be able to apply this and put it into practice. So verse 1, Paul starts off now concerning food to idols. I'm just going to push pause for a second so I can quickly explain what he's talking about and why this is a big deal. So when he says food offered to idols, typically what he's talking about is in, people would come and bring an animal and sacrifice it, so it would be meat then offered to an idol. But there's oftentimes people would bring other types of food as well. If they weren't, couldn't afford an animal, they would bring corn or whatever, right? Whatever they would have that could be some sort of an offering. The idols themselves would be little images, sometimes big images or figurines or something like that that would represent to that person a god, a deity, something that they wanted to worship. So the idea would be is this thing, they would look at it as a way of changing their fortune. It would, it would be something that can somehow make them happy or give them a better life. So they would bring their little thing, whatever that was, an animal or food, and then they would sacrifice it, lay it before this idol with the idea that now that God is going to give them what they need. Going to bring them some form of happiness. Now, this is a big deal because in Roman culture, no one really could see where political life and community life or whatever and religious life, where each began and ended. They were all intricately intertwined. So often when some of these events were taking place, Christians would be invited if they wanted to take part in community life, which I think people do because it's fun and, and whatever you get out there and and meet people and stuff like that. So they would be going out and taking part in community life, but often would be expected to engage in some of these situations, be it in the temple, be it in the, in the courtyard or whatever. People would come and they would expect them to per- eat some of these food or eat some of this food in meals. So this begs the question then is, what is a Christian supposed to do? Is this bad for a Christian How should they respond? How should we, if we've decided to follow Jesus, how should we respond? So I'll read the entire verse. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So you'll you'll see that a lot of, uh, as you read through, particularly after uh, chapter 7, but through the letter, there's a lot of quotation marks. And what Paul's doing is he's often quoting the culture Something, some sort of saying that the culture was uh, running around with. Or, in this case, there's a letter that had been written by the Corinthian church that Paul is now addressing. And so he's quoting them back to themselves. So you guys are talking about this. Now let me address it. So he's there saying in the first century in the Corinthian church, they're letting Paul know that he doesn't need to worry about them as it pertains to food sacrifice to idols. They, they got that. They understand They have this knowledge. But Paul is saying that it's not knowledge that they should be leading with. 
It's love. Love is the thing that's the most important. Love is going to be what builds people up in this case. Verse 3 teaches us that this love that the Corinthian church is supposed to be utilizing or, or building their foundation on is actually given to them from God. God knows them first, so it's through that that they are able to love one another and love him. This is that experience. But evidently, though, some of the folks in Corinth, they believed that because they possessed the knowledge that there's just one God, uh, and he's the only one to worship, right? If you see verse 4, eating the food sacrificed to idols is no big deal. They can, they can just do whatever they want. As long as they're in on the truth, then it's not a problem. You can, you can sort of see them throwing up their arms and saying something like, well, what's the worst that can happen, right? Kind of famous last words. We just... Uh, celebrated, well, probably not many of you did, but on October 30th was the 80th anniversary of one of the most infamous unintentional hoaxes in modern history. A gentleman by the name of Orson Welles, he was, uh, at the time, he was a radio actor and, and a producer and a director. He wanted to put on a production of H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. And so on the radio, him and his team did a really, really good job of pretending that aliens were invading Earth. That aliens were invading Earth. And so the show would have like radio programs in it that were interrupted by breaking news updates of the reporters, right? Like, breaking news, right? Here's the latest on the alien front. So an example of this, Here's an announcer's live update at the crash site describing a Martian emerging from a large metallic cylinder. Good heavens! Something's wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now there's another, and another one, and another one. They, they look like tentacles to me. I can, I can see the thing's body now. It's large, large as a bear. Glistens like wet leather. That face, it... It... Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, it is indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It is so awful. The eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent and the mouth is kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips that seem to quiver and pulsate. It's disgusting. So unfortunately for many, although Wells and many others knew that this wasn't real, they still managed to convince over a million people in the U.S. that things were happening, that aliens were invading the earth, so much so that it caused widespread panic, like stuff was broken and there was, yeah, it was no good. One, For instance, one woman ran into an Indianapolis church service and she screamed, New York has been destroyed! It's it's the end of the world! Go home and prepare to die! I know, really dramatic. So, so Wells and his friends, they knew, they knew, they possessed the knowledge that this wasn't real, and therefore they didn't really appear to see any way that this could go wrong. The Corinthians, they've written to Paul, and they're telling him, we know what's real and what's not. We won't get caught up in idol worship. And, and Paul even agrees with them, right? Like verse 5, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 
So if someone is a strong Christian, they have strong faith in God, they would say something like, sure, right? There's lots of gods and lots of lords out there. You know, I actually don't think that, right? There's the same page, one God, one Lord. What's the problem? But what about everybody else that doesn't know that? Verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So just like with the War of the World world, scenario, not everyone possesses the knowledge that is necessary to discern between what is real and what isn't. So these gods and lords are actually really real to these people, and they pull them away from worshiping the one true God. So this person or this group of people then would be considered spiritually weak. Spiritually weak. They, They may believe in Jesus, but they may not be fully clear on who he is, that he's God, that he's the only one worthy of worship. There's maybe some confusion around that. This is why they look to others who are supposed to know the way. I know I just celebrated 11 years to coming to faith. And when I first came in, I was looking at everybody, pastors and and people who are strong in the faith, to show me what's what as it was to spirituality. It's the same for probably a lot of people here. This is why that we need to be aware of how exercising a right can actually be wrong. Because at the heart of the friend, this passage, my friends, is this idea of who do we worship? Who are we showing other people that we worship? Is it God or is it something else? I've had the opportunity to serve in Guatemala a number of times, and one of the times I was down there, I met a, a guy, a guy, his name was Mashimon, and Mashimon is an idol, and so we had a picture, but, um, oh, that is right there, that's Mashimon. So Mashimon is, a, is an idol, and you can see there's some chairs there and stuff, so normally he has his priests, he stays in someone's house for a year in a place called Adelan. And people, uh, the family kind of takes care of him and, and looks over him. And he then protects, supposedly, the family and the surrounding village and, and all that stuff. And to do, or in order for the transaction to go off, you need to give Mashimon stuff. And some of the stuff that Mashimon likes is booze and smokes. Yeah, I know, it's really weird. So uh, also 11 years ago, I, I quit smoking. And so let's just pretend that while I was there, one of the guys, one of the priest guys goes, hey, you know, you want a cigarette? And me wanting to be a good, you know, not um, insult them, says, okay, you know what? I'm free in Christ. One smoke's not going to kill me. I'm not going to go back to smoking and, and become enslaved by it. It's, it's all good. I'm going to have this cigarette. Now, let's pretend that one of, because we I was with a group, there's Mayan Christians there. Um, and so one of these Mayan Christians had once worshipped Mashimon. So now he's watching me have a cigarette in the presence of Mashimon. Now, also pretend that this same person used to smoke, but for whatever reason decided to give it up. The primary sin that I'm committing against him is leading him potentially back to worshiping Mashimon, not getting him potentially to go back to smoking. Okay? If he goes back and becomes enslaved by cigarettes, just like if, if we uh, nudge someone in a direction to become enslaved by anything that they used to struggle with, is that bad? 
100%, right? That is something that we don't want to be doing if we love other people. But the tendency with when we take this passage that we're reading right now is to make rules. We want to take this and, and make up rules like don't drink in public because you don't know if there's going to be an alcoholic that sees you and thinks you're a strong Christian and they're a weak Christian and they're going to go back to alcoholism. Or don't post pictures of your awesome house or wicked awesome vacation on Facebook because people who struggle with depression or envy or, or whatever, they might fall. Now, are those real things? Totally, right? You can, you can look up how this, these things impact people, right? And, and we can influence them the wrong way. And, and so we need to think about that as, as people. If we want to love other people, we need to think about that. But that's not what necessarily this is talking about. Because those things, like envy and being enslaved by something other than Jesus, right? Like being addicted to something, those are, those are sins, right? Sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. We, we can receive, we can receive, uh, receive forgiveness for those. What we can't really receive forgiveness for is worshiping and asking forgiveness from somebody other than Jesus. Follow me? So the primary thing is who we're showing people that we worship. The primary stake is life in God. It's not whether we smoke or not. It's also important for us to point out that what Paul is talking about specifically is, is uh, weakness, not preference. That we're, he's calling us to curb our freedom, to limit ourselves in front of people, not because they don't like it, but because they're weak and they might be led to worshiping someone other than God. So if you're doing something and someone doesn't like it, but it's morally okay, and you're not actually leading them to worship Mashimon or anything else, then it's, it's kind of tough for them, right? Like we don't get to make rules for other people based on our own just preferences. But if we're struggling, then that's, that's where it gets serious. This is why we have to go easy on mullets. I actually talked to a guy after the first service who had a strong mullet game, and he asked me, does this mean I have to cut my mullet? And I said, brother, no. You wear, you wear that with pride. And Eldon, he's going to be listening to this at some point. I want him to know that he is free to re-engage with that beautiful hairstyle. <laughs> I just may not be seen with him in public. And <laughs> it could impact his marriage. But... But friends, this is, this is why love needs to be the motivating factor, right? Like verse 8, Paul says, food is not going to commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So as it pertains to relationship with a holy and loving God, the food doesn't matter. The food doesn't matter. Go ahead and eat it. As long as you have the right perspective about who you're worshiping, it's fair game. But we need to remember that we don't need to eat it. We don't need to eat that food. It's not mandatory. There's only a few things in life that we need to do, right? If we, if we want to be a follower of Jesus, accepting him by grace through faith. These are the sorts of needs. So why would we ask, or sorry, why would we risk someone else's standing with God, their position with God, over something that doesn't really even matter? And this is why Paul, he, in verse 13, is going to say that if this is the case, he's not making promises, but he says, if this is the case, then I'm going to give up meat. It's just not, it's just not that important. There shouldn't be anything that we won't do for love. And 
I don't know if you guys remember, you guys remember Meatloaf, the, the singer, not the, the delicious entree? He had a song that was, I would do anything for love. But then he says, but I won't do that. And I'm like, doesn't, I thought it was anything, man. Like this song doesn't even make sense. But what I'm trying to say is there shouldn't be anything that we won't do for love because what matters is other people. Verse 9, Paul writes, But take care that this right of yours, you have total freedom to do on your own, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So when Paul, he writes, take care, what he's telling us to do, well, the Corinthian church, but us, to do is that we need to do the best we can with what we know. And we're going to know a lot better if we think about it. There's a, a song called Car Radio, and it's by 21 Pilots. And it's he, the writer of it, Tyler, talks about how his car radio was stolen. And because of that, his, the music is always, or sorry, the music isn't there anymore. So now he's left alone with his thoughts, and his thoughts can be deafening. And, but this, this uh, is speaking to a much bigger issue that we have in our culture that we can be so distracted by things, by music, but by, you know, all these different things that uh, happen in our life, events, people, and stuff that we stop thinking about what's really important in life. And so he writes, and there's faith and there's sleep. We need to pick one, please, because faith is to be awake and to be awake is for us to think and for us to think is to be alive, and I will try with every rhyme to come across like I am dying to let you know you need to try to think. Friends, we need to be intentional, and we need to think about our lives and the lives of the people around us. That's what Paul is calling us to. Because remember when I said that it was a big deal because religious life and community life was so intertwined? One of the biggest lies that is happening today is saying that that is not true. Our so-called secular culture has tons and tons of gods that are trying to rip us away from worshiping the one true God. I would suggest that materialism or consumerism is one of these things that if we, you know, buy a, a, a nice enough house or the right things or go on the right vacations or enough of them or have a certain standard of living, that we will achieve happiness and happiness is all we need. It's all we need. We're inundated with that. So this is why our culture says, do what you want. And if someone else has a problem with it, well, that's, that's their problem, right? You just, you do you. But God is saying, you do what you want. But if someone else has a problem with it, if something that you're doing is impacting somebody that's weak, well, you know what? That's your problem too. In the 80s, the Beastie Boys became famous for encouraging teens to fight for their rights. It was, it was to party. But the slogan stands today, I think, that that's what we're championed to do, is to fight for our personal rights. Our personal rights trump everything. 
But if we want to follow Jesus' lead, Paul is saying we need to reflect on whether exercising whatever right it is might wrong someone. Now, how could that happen? Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Now, this is a little bit funny uh, kind of verse because it's debated as to whether or not Paul is encouraging people to just avoid temples altogether or not. But we're not going to dive into that for, for time reasons. The point that is here is to think about what happens when someone who is weak sees someone who seems to be a strong follower of Jesus doing something like eating food sacrificed to idols. What do we think? What happens to that? Because remember, these opportunities typically were public. And often now we think that because we live such sort of individual lives at home, but remember, online activity puts us in the public square, just we kind of forget about it when it's just a screen. So because of that, we need to keep a couple of things in mind. I'm, I'm just going to give us two things we need to keep in mind. First, the, we don't know how people are perceiving us or what they are getting from us. Right? We can, it can be unknown sometimes. Many years ago, Sarah, uh, my wife, uh, she went out and she was shopping and was at Walmart and saw this sweater she really liked and it was on sale. So she picked it up and she went home. And normally Sarah's a, a wash before wear kind of girl, but she's going out that night and really wanted to wear it. So she threw it on and went out. So she's hanging out with her friends and the night's going on and they're having a good time. And at one point, this girl sitting next to her goes, does it smell like Walmart in here to anybody? <laughs> I know. Evidently, that's a, a bad thing. But sometimes our actions can, can smell like Walmart, and we're not even aware of it. Think about it. Second thing. We often don't know where, who we're talking to or what they're capable of. So it's, it's like this story, there's uh, this guy and he's at a wedding and it's an open bar and he's drinking too much and he goes over to this other guy, he's kind of a bigger guy, drinking too much, walks over, sees this other guy, more slight in build, he's got a suit on, looking good, no socks, with kind of flower shoes, like he's fashion guy, right, he's looking really good. So drunk drinking guy goes to fashion guy and he's like, I know who not to ask for help in the case of a zombie apocalypse, right? Like, I guess, shooting down his manhood. Ha, 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 Kind of thing. Turns out, though, that fashion guy is also survivalist guy and boxing guy. And so he drops drinking guy like a bad habit. We got to know our audience, friends. We got to know who we're talking to. Because Jesus hasn't called the Corinthian church to be meat inspectors. Right? He's, we can eat the meat, eat the meat, whatever that looks like, with a clear conscience. Paul later on, because by the way, this whole, Paul talks about this for like three chapters, 8, 9, and 10. He's making his argument for this. So I encourage you to read the other two. But in, in verse 25 of chapter 10, Paul's going to write, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Right? Food taken out of its idolatrous context is merely food. So, so eat up. It's all good. So we haven't been called to be meat inspectors. We've been called to be people inspectors. 
We need to be wary of our surroundings and who's with or near us. We need to give it some thought. Why? Well, because the word encourage, we translate encouraged in verse 10, is the same word in verse 1 that we uh, translate builds up. So this idea is that we can either build someone up in love towards God or build someone up or encourage them in selfishness towards something else. And if we do that, the consequences are verse 11 and by so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the brother or sister for whom christ died thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak you sin against christ now i i know we've been having some some fun with this but this is actually a really serious topic and we know that because paul just made it serious did you know that if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually you wield that much power? Speak for myself, and it is incredibly humbling and, for, quite frankly, disturbing to know that my actions can impact a person that severely. I know some of you are probably thinking, though, but wait a minute, didn't we just, verse 8, like, I thought this wasn't supposed to be a big deal. Right? It's just the food sacrifice to idols. Like, what gives? Well, yes, if, if you're on the strong side and you have the knowledge that it is just gods and lords, then it isn't a big deal. But friends, to the others, these gods and lords are very, very, very real. I, I've met people who think Mashimon, like that's, that's legit. So by one action, my behavior can encourage somebody to give themselves over to worshiping something other than God. So we actually have a really incredible opportunity. We have an amazing privilege as the church to be able to show people what Jesus has done for us, don't we? Because Jesus lived a perfect life. He led a sinless, rebellion-lessness Life And because of that, he didn't have to die. He had the right to live. But for our sake, he became sin who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gave up his life, that his right to live, so that we wouldn't stumble, so that we could find life. And so later in chapter 10, Paul's going to echo the words of Jesus when he writes, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So that's why he writes in verse 13, here, therefore, food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. It's awesome. He finishes up this section of the letter by telling the Corinthians what his own rule of thumb is, what his thoughts are, that the principle that he lives by, because this is how big of a deal it is to Paul that he doesn't care about eating meat if it means lifting up his friends. So friends, love may require for us, may require us to give up things that we can exercise by right. We have full freedom to do. Love may require us to give these things up to prevent other Christians from falling and even beyond that. I mentioned earlier that materialism or consumerism is an issue for us, and I really do. I think this is the thing Uh, that pulls us away from God. It's not the only thing, but I think it's the main thing. 
And knowing that, if we have that information and then we try to intentionally live out a counter-cultural lifestyle in love for the good of others, that, friends, that's the answer. That's how we are able to help people out. I really like the way Mac Miller puts it in perspective for us. Isn't it funny? We can make a lot of money, buy a lot of things, just to feel a lot of ugly. Preach. So as I close, I'm not going to pretend to know what, what you guys all do on your day-to-day basis or as it pertains to your day-to-day activities. I, I'm not here to make rules for us to follow. That's why I'm not giving a lot of examples beyond materialism about how this meets itself in, in real life. But there, there are principles that we, we can live by, right? Because this is, this is going to change. What, what I am here to say is that this is a thing that there, there's a lot of us that are easily influenced into doing things because of past lifestyle choices. And that, it, like, unbeknownst to us, by our actions, we are able to influence them back towards worshiping something other than God. So there needs to be uh, a way that we intentionally restrict our actions for the love of others. So that, that's, a, that's a real thing. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by praying. We do that by asking God to show us what some of these things are in the situations and then, and then doing it. Asking him to bring these things to mind. And then I said it, and, and I'm going to keep saying it because this is something that is so, so important. We need to think about it. We need to, to, we need to be thoughtful. Our faith is a reflective faith. That means that we think about it. We think about it because at the heart of it is relationship, both with God and with other people. And, and it's founded on love, and when you love something, you think about it. You want the best for it. And then we have grace. This is, this is so key. We lean on Jesus for his grace, both in our own lives as, as we mess this up, right? This is, I, can, I know, this can be an overwhelming subject to think about. We have grace for ourselves, and we have grace for those around us. If we consider ourselves strong, we have grace for those who are weak. We may not understand why they struggle with the things they do, but that doesn't matter. What matters is they do, and that we love them through it. And also, if we are some of the weak and we are struggling, we don't blame. We don't point fingers and say, you're person, you're the reason why I'm doing this. We need to take responsibility for our actions. And yes, people can influence towards other things. But we need to realize what our weaknesses are and then work towards becoming strong in them. Being weak isn't determined. It's not a place that you're just going to sit forever. We can work towards being strong. So let's help each other do that. I mean, it, it seems like Paul in this letter really leans on the things we shouldn't be doing because that's the nature of it. Corinth was a messed up church full of messed up people. And I know speaking for myself, I, I, I'm a messed up person too right? And I'm prone to wander. So we need to think about as a church how we can work together, not causing each other, not causing one another to stumble, but also we need to be thinking about how we can press into community, leaning on one another, stirring each other up to love and good works. Paul, as he finishes up this, he's going to talk about uh, to the Corinthian church, do all things to the glory of God meaning that whatever we do should reflect God's greatness to anybody that's watching. I know that's my prayer for me, because I need it, but that's my prayer for our community, that we would reflect our awesome God to whoever is watching. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word to us and for this challenge, for this reminder, for this privilege it is to be thinking about people in our midst that may be weak and struggling with who you are, that we can come alongside them and we could show them through our actions, both intentionally, the things that we do, uh, but also things that we can curb in order to help them on their faith journey. Father, we know that this is a tough thing for us to know because we're not you. We don't have perfect understanding or perfect love, but you do. So please, Father, our prayer to you is that you will reach down to us and provide us with that. We are calling out to you for your wisdom, for your discernment, for your love to be present in our lives as we seek to show each other your awesomeness. We lift this up in your name. Amen.